This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. Welcome to the 50th episode of the spoiler room, folks. I never thought we would get to this point just because, uh, yeah, I didn't think it would run this long, but it is, and we are just rolling with a full head of steam, and I've got a packed spoiler room tonight, and I do mean packed. We have a great group of individuals who have been kind enough to join me on the 50th anniversary, uh, 50th episode of the spoiler room, and this episode we are going to cover films from 1965, because that was 50 years ago, and I picked a year, and everybody here picked their movie that they wanted to talk about from that year, and it turned out to be a great year for film. So we're going to go down real quick, just real quick introductions. We have Cole Meredith back with us. Hello, Cole. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, always. And of course, the diva of the spoiler room herself, Dawn, is here with us tonight. Hello. Hello. And the BFD, uh, spoiler room regular, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. So. And Gonzorific is back in the his house. The lovely Andrew Shearer. Thank you for that, dude. I appreciate it. <laughs> and next to Andrew is the lovely Kate Owens. How are you tonight, Kate? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks. And we have Mr. Paul Bowtie Salzar in the house. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Great. And Mr. Scott Davis is here to talk with us today. Hey. Hello, Scott. Always hey. a pleasure. And a fairly new voice to the spoiler room. He's been on maybe just a couple times. You may have recognized his voice from the Oshkosh Horror Film Festival. He is actor as well as really good and long-term friend of mine, uh, Mr. Doc uh, Stephen Waltersdorf. How are you today, sir? I'm good. Long-time listener, part-time contributor. Great topic. Love the show. <laughs> Awesome. I've not had one of those yet. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Larry, that's, 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 that's great because that's the Larry King thing. That is. What's going that's... on there? <laughs> Sausalito. So that... Hello. You're on here. I'll hang up and listen to my answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> so 1965. Uh, ter- uh, this was a just a year that was exploding. You had uh, the, the Selma incident in the march, you had civil rights going on, you had um, major uh, U.S. missions starting regularly now in Vietnam, Vietnam protests, the world was just in, just the culture was crazy, and what was also crazy was the sheer volume of really good films that came out that year. Also, uh, really quick, we'll just cover some notable births in 1965, we had James Nesbitt, Born then, Brandon Lee was also born in 65, along with Cheryl Fenn. Chris Rock, born in 65. Robert Downey Jr., yes, for you young folks, Iron Man was born in 65. And John Cryer, and just to name a few of the very well-known actors nowadays. And finally, I have to mention, Mr. Michael Bay was born in 65. So, take that as you will. (laughs) He's 50? I thought he was 15. Nice. <laughs> just mentally. Hard. Just mentally, maybe. And Did tonight, you say Brandon Lee, Mark? Brandon Lee, yes. Phenomenal. 
Yes, Brandon Lee was actually born in 65 as well. Little baby Brandon Lee. A lot of creative folks born that time and a lot of creative movies out in theater. And the first one we're going to start to you tonight is actually a foreign one. Glenn, go ahead. Why don't you tell everyone what your pick was for 1965 films? My pick for 1965 film was Alphaville. Yes! Yes, Alphaville. Now, why don't you... Why don't you tell our uh, listeners a bit what Alphaville is all about? Well, first of all, Alphaville is by the... Uh, I don't know if I'd say the, the word controversial. He is, a, he is a director that people either love or absolutely cannot stand, and that's uh, Jean-Luc Goddard. Alphaville is his sci-fi noir, uh, for lack of a better term. You have the story of a U.S. agent is sent to uh, Alphaville, to kind of, uh, he has to find a missing agent as well as this doctor, and Alphaville is this kind of bizarre place run by uh, basically a computer uh, where everything is logical. People aren't allowed to express emotions, stuff like that. But you have an uh, expat, uh, Eddie Constantine plays uh, Lemmy Caution. I love, I love that name, Lemmy Caution. <laughs> um, it, there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of great like film noir tropes and, and some sci-fi tropes in this film as well. It's not going to be for everyone. It uses a very minimalist style. Um, I mean, this is a sci-fi film, but everything is shot in what was then, you know, modern-day uh, Paris. There's not like, you know, there, you don't see spaceships flying around. I mean, the main character, you know, looks like someone right out of the Maltese Falcon, you know, guy in a trench coat uh, carrying his, you know, Colt 911. <laughs> so he drives a Ford Galaxy. So... It's definitely uh, it's a slower paced movie. It's kind of a it's it's philosophical and it's it's uh, got a lot of stuff on like societal issues. Um, and I mean, mind you, this is you know this is French. You know, this is only twenty years after the end of World War Two, so uh, there's there's hints of you know that kind of well Nazism where you have only specific groups of people actually can assimilate into the culture of Alphaville, and the rest are pretty much either commit suicide or are just executed. Yeah. Um, it's it's definitely. I mean, Goddard has his own style, and this one really showcases uh, some of his more interesting techniques. The uh, the action sequences in some of the film, it's not really like I wouldn't call it action. Uh, no. It's it's more. It's let's pose with me. You know, with uh, let me caution punching guy, posing and choking a guy, and my personal <laughs> favorite, then. Having what's very obviously a dummy laying on the ground as he looks out the window of his car and then proceeds to drive over the head. Yes. <laughs> um, and you're and supposed to look like a dummy too. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I like it. It's 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 going to rub people a lot of people the wrong way, especially with the voice of Alpha Sixty, the computer. Uh, you know, the the parent boss who who is kind of a narrator throughout the film. Is actually voiced by a guy who had uh, had his his uh, voice box removed, so he sounds a lot like this all the time, except in French. <laughs> it's, it's this very deep and guttural, and you know, raspy voice that uh, for the first twenty twenty or thirty minutes when I was rewatching this, I had forgotten how much the voice kind of grated on me. But it works because it of, of of you know with the computer it's it's this not it's it's not a normal you know quote unquote normal human voice sure which works well for the computer so I mean I I had not seen this movie in probably 
close to 30 years. So, and it, I it was the first time I've actually seen it when you brought it up, and so I uh, I'm just letting everybody in um, ahead of time that I did sit and watched everybody's film uh, wow. for this episode. So I have seen everyone's film picks. I, I got their picks ahead of time. So uh, and Alphaville was a surprise for me. Now. Uh, you mentioned his style. I liked his camera work. Uh, how many else here are familiar with Alphaville? Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this when this movie, I can't believe you picked it. This is wonderful. Uh, I I like had like a top five that I was always working with, like to say like what am I gonna pick? And that this was like two or three constantly. I mean, I love this movie. I love Jean Luc Godard. Uh, I love. That it's a science fiction film, but it's also a satire. It's got this absurdist mm-hmm. humor, like the secret agents. There's like a, a time where like the people from the hotel will come in, and they'll just try to kill. Let me caution. They'll just yeah. just try to kill him out there, and then he like flips him, punches him a few times, and the guy's like kind of going, "Oh, okay. So do you want any turn down service?" And just goes back to normal as if nothing ever happened. Uh, there's this there's a sequence involving a j- where they try to. Uh, gauge someone's humanity by telling a joke, which is wonderful. I love this movie. This is a fantastic movie. It yeah. does it does play off of a lot of themes. Uh, I just like like I said, I mentioned I liked his camera work. There's a particular shot he used a couple of times where it's a long tracking shot, basically of the guy coming into the lobby, going into the elevator, going up the elevator, coming out of the elevator, and meeting. Um, this, oh yeah, uh, the, the whole beginning shot that was uh, yeah that was all one continuous take, and it took them so many tries to get it right because the two elevators there are two elevators that have glass uh, that face each other, so that the cameraman was in one elevator with uh, Lemmy Caution Eddie Constantine in the other, but because the building was so old, it was hard to get them to move in unison. Right. So you'd have, he would go up, and then the cameraman would be too far behind him, or the cameraman would go up and constantly be too far behind, and it took them forever to get that shot right. But when they got it right, it looked fantastic, yeah, it especially great. especially for a film of this age. I mean, uh, you know, some of these techniques you see people, you know, rave about now, you realize, you know, that, that stuff's been around for a really long time, only they had a lot more difficult time <laughs> shooting this oh. Yeah, and and I also like the the use of the the flashing lights in various sequences throughout the film. This kind of hypnotic, you know, hip, hypnosis type thing they're like throwing at you that kind of goes along with the whole you know emotionless society that this computer has created, where these people are, for lack of a better term, many of them are you know I don't know brainwashed if you want to say into behaving a specific way. Well, yeah, they were brainwashed uh, yeah. in a way because you had the people, and you wouldn't. Nobody would ask them how are you doing or you know anything without any prompting at all. Their response before they left or something would always be, "I'm fine, thanks. Don't mention it." And, yes. And, and you're like, <laughs> they said that there were a number of points throughout, and it was very subtle, and I love that because. Uh, there were points where nobody would say, oh, how are you doing, or thank you, or, you know, have a good night, or whatever. They would just reply to that as if, you know, that it's just this program response. And mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the films, one of the common themes, and I think everybody here will agree that I think 90% of the films we have here, 
not only are making uh, statements about uh, various political things, but let's also talk about the um, treatment of women and how they are portrayed oh, yeah. in 65 films, which when you watch 10 of them back-to-back, -back, you pick up a theme really quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing, too. If you notice, most of the women in this movie were barcoded. Mm-hmm. Which right there is is so far beyond what you would see in most science fiction stuff back then. You know, you know the fact that humans are barcoded. Well, and and then they had a designation too. They were level three seductress. Yes. Or level two. You know, the the first girl that he meets, she asks him these questions, and then we see another girl who's in a similar similar role later on asking the same questions of him. But they're not robots, but they are so programmed by uh, the the computer that runs Alphaville that those are those just automatic, that's their role, that's what they do. In fact, the first one he sees, she gets in there, she starts turning out his bed, asks him if he needs anything, he says, no, not really, but she doesn't pay attention, she gets undressed and starts taking a bath, and a guy appears and he starts shooting at, at the guy, and she's still taking the bath! She just did the bath! And that's within the first like 10-15 minutes of the film, and that right there told me, wow, okay, I'm in for an interesting ride. Um, it, it, it's interesting, though, because there are a few themes in there that still we could apply to today, like uh, the whole being connected to a computer and being programmed for specific roles. Uh, wouldn't you say, Scott or uh, Glenn, that uh, you, you could possibly apply some of the themes in there to today? Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you know, you've got, the, you know, I mean, these people are, you are suited for this work, this is what you will do. You know, you're, 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 you're catalog cataloged and categorized long before you even have a say in any, before you even consider having a say in anything. <laughs> Everything has been predetermined for you. Well, Gadar, you know, Gadar had all these, you know, he has these very extreme kind of political views, which he would then later, you know, explore in more overtly later on, and stuff. So he always had, he was always very critical of government. He was always very critical of uh, uh, people denying the lack of uh, express of self-expression and everything. And uh, he threw that into this movie too, you know. And of course, he put, you know, one of his greatest. Uh, female leads in the movie, Anna Karina, who's yes. just fantastic. She was, you know, in so many of his movies, Viva La Vie, uh, uh, oh, Woman is a Woman, I think she was in that, and uh, Band of Outsiders, which is my favorite one. And they're all, everybody, you know, it, it's really about this, uh, you have all this satire and all this absurdity and uh, all the machinations and everything, but in, in the end, it's about, you know, as crazy as it is, it's about, you know, humanity and freedom and stuff. And yeah. it's just this crazy flick. I love this movie. Well, because the computer in Alphaville has uh, pretty much outlawed or banned any type of creative thought, mm -hmm. poetry, the concept of love, the question of why, which I, it's an interesting thing when you start thinking of what if you banned asking the question why? You know, there are some who would like to do that. Sorry, go ahead. As, as you say, there's no poetry, but the computer, while it narrates, quotes poetry quite often throughout the film. Yes. 
<laughs> and they also, instead of a Bible in the hotel room, which you think it is at first, because this is a spoiler room, folks, it's actually a dictionary, and the dictionary is reprinted every day because he bans or removes certain words from people's vocabulary. <laughs> it, there's so many things going on in this film, it really surprised me. But you're right, his style is definitely unique, and I could definitely see it being jarring for some people, uh, not only just being French, but being somewhat avant-garde French. I mean, he, he's got a unique style, So, uh, but some of these other films as well ended up getting that interesting style. Though you do have a running soundtrack, I swear the same instruments were used for all the soundtracks to all these films that you guys picked. <laughs> I swear to God, there's a solo flute, there's kind of a jazzy rhythm going on for all the scores to these films. It just, I'm like, okay, so yeah, because you had the whole beatnik generation thing going on, so uh, jazz was definitely high on the list, but excellent pick with Alphaville. There is a lot of heavy stuff, I think, going on in that film, um, and if you can handle his style, I think there's a lot of things to address in there. Anybody else uh, want to weigh in on Alphaville, or have they seen it? No? Okay. <laughs> you guys got to see it. It's so I, I, good. I, I know it by reputation. I've read about it, but I've never gotten a chance to see it yet. Yeah, it's no, not. not it. I wrote it down. <laughs> it is It is definitely a film, though, again, you have to be kind of in the right mindset and take it for just just watch it. Don't And, and take what's being presented to you because uh, if you start to think further than that, you may you may lose something, or you may you know miss something in it. I mean, Kadar was the most one, probably the most bizarre and um, uh, convention-breaking person to come out of the French New Wave. So, I mean, a lot of his movies uh, from that era are going to strike you that way. And if you try to like just jump into one of his later works, then you're just going to be completely lost because yes. that's what I did and I was. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back to the beginning, you know. But, you know, you see Alphaville or any of these things that he did like in the uh, uh, 60s, uh, especially early 60s, then you're, you're – it, it's, it's – Boundary breaking stuff that'll ease you into the rest of his stuff. His uh, stuff because sure. this dude is still making movies today. <laughs> he's been. Yeah. He's this guy's made a ton of flicks. Yeah, he's definitely uh, still quite active and has a unique style that is not going to be your normal narrative, but it is a narrative that you kind of associate with that era with the whole the jazz music and everything, a little bit more abstract than you might be used to if you're only watching modern films. But if you have watched classic films, you will recognize uh, that style uh, of his. But even for that period, he was kind of a breakout uh, style for him in a unique, definitely art house. If, if anything, definition of art house pick. Uh, Alphaville could fall in there. Not in a negative way, it's just definitely a different type of narrative for a film. So, excellent pick there, Glenn. Uh, I think we're going to go move to Cole's pick. Cole, what film did you pick from 65? I, I rewatched uh, Rowan Polanski's Repulsion, which is... Uh, 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 it's a sexual nightmare. It's a nightmare about sexual repression, you know, um, offered up through a lot of just uh, indelible imagery. Is really what I get from it. Um, you know, I went back and reread a lot of articles about it after having watched it, and um, 
you know, I don't. I obviously I wasn't born in 1965, so I can't. I can't really comment on the mindset, but I don't really see this as a feminist film um, so much as uh, a film for anybody who's ever dealt with sexual repression, really. Anybody who's felt inadequate or has felt awkward around the opposite sex, you know, you take that and heighten the paranoia a bit, and I think anybody can relate to it. Um, but it's about a, a, a beautician, a, a manicurist, who... Um, Right off the bat, we get a sense she's not okay with her sister's affair. I think her sister's having an affair with a married man, and uh, that sets off her unease with sex right away. And uh, the rest of the film, well, her, her sister leaves uh, for a little getaway with her married lover, and the rest of the film basically deals with the lead character falling apart psychologically, uh, mainly due to the advances of men. But just um, overall with the, the, the unease she has with her own sexuality. And also kind of I think the film deals with what she brings out in people who are uh, coming on to her. But the most important thing about this movie, watching it again, to me is just the imagery. You know, the walls cracking. Uh, the, the, there's, a, there's a shot where she pushes a corpse down into the tub and blood slowly pools out of his mouth. I mean, a lot of this imagery is just so ahead of its time. And the soundtrack, or lack of soundtrack, rather, is haunting. I really got kind of creeped out tonight. I mean, we, we went <laughs> to the city to see uh, Spy, and then we come back and watch this thing. It was uh, <laughs> quite a contrast, man. Um, wow, that is stellar filmmaking. I'd actually forgotten this was Polanski. You know, I... I go through phases where I, I'm okay watching his films, and other times I feel guilty when I watch his films, just because I've got a little bit of Catholic guilt going on. I think, but um, sure. I, uh, I know, you know, I do, I do, I can't, I can't watch Jeepers Creepers and not feel odd. I, you know, I just, um, <laughs> I just that type of film goer, you know. Sure. But I, I, uh, I really like this movie. I have a, I don't know what this says about me, but I have a strong connection to this material. You know, I really, as a, as a sort sort of a lonely introverted person myself, who was never a lady killer, I um I don't know. I I really like this film uh, mainly for the imagery and and the cinematographer deserves a shout out here. Let me just look. Gilbert Taylor, oh mm -hmm. uh, man, it does a phenomenal job with just the imagery. I know so many so many directors who have mimicked this. Even um just recently, I was watching Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And there, I see echoes of repulsion in there with the walls cracking. And um, this is a great film. Probably uh, Roman Polanski's most underrated film, along with Ninth Gate. I think this is just fantastic movie making, man. And the lead actress, whose name I, I can't, I sh I'm not going to try to pronounce because I'm not sure of the exact pronunciation, but she does a fantastic job. She was probably in her mid-20s, maybe a little younger. Um, she just does fantastic work. This is a great Film. If you've not, if you've never seen it, check it out. It's just this uh, hallucinatory experience of sexual, uh, you know, <laughs> repulsion. Really, the name really fits the the movie for sure. Definitely, and this was wasn't this. Uh... Uh, anyone else familiar with the film? It, this was one of yeah. this was his first English yeah. film, wasn't it? Roman yeah. Polanski's. First oh, really? Oh, yeah. I 
if I remember correctly, this was his first English film, and his lead actress was Catherine uh, Deneuve. Deneuve. Deneuve, who was in Belle de Jour mm-hmm. from '67, so she would go on to do Belle de Jour, which is another yeah. interesting film. Uh, Don, I think you had a chance to see this film, correct? I did. I what, did. What, what oh did you gosh. think of it? I I st- I need to watch it a few more times. There was so much going on yeah. in this film that uh, I in no way was I able to grasp all the nuances. Um, I I to to a point I I, I agree with uh, a Cole with the whole concept of sexual repression but there's way more than that going on Um, she's got this horrible every night when she goes to bed she's god I hope it was only dreaming of being raped it's it was horrific she has something she has something very wrong with her. She's, oh my god! She is a da- she is a damaged I, she is a damaged person. Yes. I couldn't I couldn't tell if the cracks in the wall were representative of her sanity cracking, and that's why she kept obsessing over patching things. Because at one point there was a scene where she was pushing on the wall, and they were malleable and leaving uh, fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and so I I was, uh, and that's kind of where I, I I and again I I really need to go back and rewatch this a few times to get to 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 catch all these nuances and layers in this movie. But yeah, I thought it was extremely powerful, and th- there's just so much happening and complex and 1965 wow 1965 definitely and and the portrayal of the men in this film was interesting it's going to be one of the few uh, common themes i noticed in the other films that we talk about the image of men changing in film is really evident in 65 especially with this one the way the men are portrayed um, and, and I'm saying it's a, uh, it's just interesting how because they're not portrayed as being really good guys, even the good guys not being portrayed too much. He hangs out with some guys who get really kind of vulgar and giving him peer pressure. And they they all they all came across as predators. Yes. yes. Every every single guy every single guy in here comes off as predator. Not only that, but our character starts off as being kind of a mousy character at first. Who's who's yeah? She's basically the prey walking through this uh, environment of predators. I mean, she's walking down the street and we see the guys leering at her. Uh, you know, and she she is repul the na- the name repulsion. She's getting repulsed, and you can see she's repulsed by. Uh, basically, the approach of men not not at first uh, you know extremely repulsed, but as the film goes on, we watch her start to lose her sanity more and more when she 's left alone uh, by herself and it's it 's just told from her perspective, and we basically see her downward spiral, but even her sister is not portrayed very well wouldn 't you say uh, who else has seen uh, this film? Uh, I I've seen it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew, why don't we go with you uh, real quick? Wouldn't you say that even the uh, uh, her sister though isn't portrayed very well in this from her perspective? Not just the men, but her being portrayed as, or seen as as being a very selfish person. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, her sister's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Which goes along with how the film ends and it's implied why she is like this at the very end and I loved how that was done uh, Scott wouldn't you say that that was a subtle way to do that just why kind of implying with the photograph why she was the way she was oh yeah I mean uh, you're, I, I only saw I've seen the movie once and I've only oh. seen, and, and it was mm-hmm. I saw it for the first time uh, a few months ago um so just like Dawn, I'm 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 in that kind of camp of saying I know I'm gonna have to watch this multiple times. I knew that as soon as I saw it, I said, "Yep, I didn't get all of that." <laughs> but uh, but uh, I mean, there's yes, there's just so many little hints about you know what was in her past, what's in her background, why is she so frail and frigid. Why does she have all these people that watch over her, and yet you never get a sense that she's actually being nurtured? Uh, it's it's just this whole. I mean, it was really this. Um, you know, exploring this very fragile uh, psychology mm-hmm. of this person. Uh, it, it you know it makes you know repulsion. It 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 makes it an interesting. Uh, uh, I, I, I saw this around the same time as I saw a film from, I think it was 66, uh, Persona, Ingmar Bergman's film. And uh, the two films make it, it kind of complement each other by showing these, the fragility of this, of this woman's uh, psychology and everything. And, uh, interest, another, and on the other side, the, another uh, good companion piece for uh, Repulsion Simply to show the op- Captain Deneuve playing the opposite type of role is an American film from 1982 called The Hunger. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, okay. if you guys have seen that, she actually played. I've never played- seen that. I've never oh, seen it's so good. It's, really? it's very- oh, it's very arty too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and she actually plays. Uh, I mean, she's played you know sexual roles before Deneuve has. You know, because yeah. uh, Mark Mark mentioned Belle de Jour, for instance. Um, but uh, this was she was actually a totally the um, the uh, predator. Uh, va- she actually played a vampire in that one, and she was a predator preying on Susan Sarandon and stuff. So it's uh, interesting to like I, I would I would love to like line up like a chunk of time for myself one of these days and say like rewatch Repulsion, which is a brilliant <laughs> choice. Love great Cole, Cole. and Thanks, then bro. watch and then watch the the Hunger right afterwards. It's like black and white. Yeah. Well, I just got to say, if her character was molested, then the whole film is is very easy to understand. You know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of look at the whole film as more of a question mark about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because it, it never really, I mean, is is it in her head? Is it not? You know? Um, I think it's certain- because the fish was left sitting out too long. It caused all kinds of I don't think he wants to. I don't think he wants. I, I, and I like it when directors do this. I don't think he wants to give us a, a straight answer. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he definitely doesn't want to give a straight answer with it. 
uh, and you can tell that though it, it, it is implied, but you know, you get what you want out of that final shot too at, at yeah. the very end. You know, showing the photograph in close up, and you see the evil look she's giving what we think is her dad, or at least an older person in her family. Um, and that really kind of sealed it for me. But you, you know, again, this is one of the number of the films that we saw start cropping up uh, that I. I don't want to use the, I'll use the term, but it's been given such a, a odd connotation lately. Uh, feminism, yeah, uh, was was a theme in the culture. Uh, I was doing some reading up on '65 and and on some other things that were going on then too, with as far as not just civil rights uh, for people of of color, but also women's rights as well was starting to become a, well, it's always been an issue, but really was coming into focus. And, and this is, again, one of those films that I thought that uh, was kind of playing at those themes a little bit of, of you know, because she's underestimated. The girl is the, the girl is underestimated throughout the film, not only by, uh, wouldn't you say, Andrew, that she's not over un, underestimated, not only by her sister, but by the people she works with. She definitely doesn't have a lot of power. Yeah, uh, but she gets it near the end, or, or as much as she can, uh, and we even get a scene in here, though she loses her sanity, and we get a scene in here that reminded me of uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> with the arms, or was it Day, uh, Day uh, the one with the hands, the hands <laughs> oh, coming out, yes. the, the hands coming out of the, the walls, there's a scene in here where she yeah. gets that. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. reminded oh, me yeah. from that. <laughs> Kate, you don't like hands coming out of walls? <laughs> it just, I just like could feel them on me when I was watching it. I just finished watching it like an hour ago. Which one? <laughs> Repulsion? Yeah. Oh, and, and what did you... Uh, what were your thoughts on Repulsion? What did you get I, out of it? I mean, I, I loved it. I, I'm going to... I want to and I will need to watch it like other people have said <laughs> multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um... But I kind of got, um, I don't know, I, I just like watching Catherine Deneuve. She's just really amazing to watch, first of all. And it, I don't know, it was just kind of a haunting movie. Yeah. It, it is a very haunting movie. I mean, she's almost ghost-like yeah. in it. Yeah, she's and, a ghost of herself. And, and I, I really loved it. I don't know if any of you here have seen the film uh, The Voices with um, – uh, Ryan Reynolds, yeah, but yes, it hinted. Film, it, it hinted at that because it's being told from her perspective. We're given hints occasionally, like food being left out and and yeah. rotting. And at first, we get from her perspective where everything seems to be fine, but then we get shots of what actually is going on in the house. Yeah, it, it's a lot more creepy. Uh, you know, than the way she's got perceived because we she she's kind of got this not tunnel vision, but she's definitely in not our world completely. Um, and you get that from the first scene, and you just see that spiral out even further. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I thought it was great. It definitely had some statements to make. As everyone said, it is a film you should watch multiple times because you're going to get more out of it or pick things out of it more every time uh yeah so that's a that's a great pick it definitely a, a psychological uh thriller 
and definitely Roman Polanski's style in there with a great actress. I, I loved her in, in Belle de Jour, and, and in this one I thought she just sold it so well. Uh, you know, And it's another film, just like with Alphaville, there's not actually a whole lot of locations. This is actually, as far as the film goes, the way it was shot and everything is, is held to just one or two locations. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, they, not a huge budget spent on, on location shooting and that or going to a lot of places. It pretty much is just sticking with her and her, her uh, growing insanity. So, uh, yeah, definitely is an interesting film. Uh, Kate, did you have any other thoughts on Repulsion besides having to watch it again? <laughs> Anything um, stand out for you? No, other than the fact that I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it in mm -hmm. its entirety until today. Sure. Uh, no, it was just, it was really great. Yeah. Andrew, what about you? Any uh, thoughts on Repulsion? Anything you want to add? No, oh, we're, Kate and I, have, um, we were thinking of doing a, uh, a podcast episode just on the apartment trilogy, so like all three, because you know it's the first and yeah. what was considered is uh, uh, Rosemary's Baby and then the Tenant, right? Oh, I, and you know, one could also say Carnage because it takes place in an apartment, but really mm -hmm. this is the proper. Uh, right. These, these three, we're gonna we're thinking about uh, doing a little special episode of uh, that's on our master list. So. Awesome. Nice. Uh, we'll keep an ear out for that. Uh, Don, any final thought on Repulsion, real quick? Um. No, I think I said everything. Okay, great. Well, uh, great pick there, Cole. And actually, the next one that I want to talk about quick, it leads kind of into a similar thing dealing with insanity. A common theme in 65. Men are losing their marbles. marbles. Paul, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your pick and what it is. Uh, it's actually a very similar themes type of story. Uh, it's called The Collector. Uh, yes. It, <laughs> it stars uh, 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 Terrence Stamp, who I know is Zod from Superman 2. Uh, he also voices Jor-El in, Jor uh, in, in uh, Smallville, if you yes. watch the TV show. Uh, it also stars uh, Samantha Egger. Uh, and, and if you're into Disney animated, uh, she's the voice of Hera. In, oh. in those movies and in the TV series. So that's kind of interesting, yeah. Uh, the film is directed by William Wyler. Uh, he's known for Funny Girl, Ben-Hur, uh, the, the, Ro <laughs> the Roman Holiday. Yeah, uh, this is an odd film out of his repertoire. Yeah. Holy cow, yes. <laughs> he, actually, he actually did turn down the directing job for Sound of Music to make this film. Yep. Wow. So that was really cool that you know, and then to watch the film is uh, it's, it's quite an interesting film. Uh, the story is kind of uh, about a reserved butterfly collector uh, named Freddie who comes into a lot of money. With that money, he decides to ramp up his collection by, get this, he kidnaps Miranda Gray, uh, a woman that he admired uh, from his childhood. He ends up locking her in, in his cellar. Uh, and she, of course, tries to escape multiple times. She even fakes appendicitis to try to get out. Uh, and uh, eventually, uh, they, they make an arrangement that uh, she'll stay for the month. And his hope is that somehow he'll win her over with his, his gentlemanness, his kindness, and his, uh, his not, he, he's not very forward toward her. He wants to make her feel safe make her realize that he's really just in love with her and, and not infatuated with her. 
uh, and uh, but ultimately it doesn't turn out the way he wants. Uh, the ending does deviate from the book slightly in that Freddy uh, in the book seems very heartless because he has multiple opportunities to to kind of save Miranda. Uh, but in the movie, uh, they have this fight when he's forced to go to the hospital. And because he was at the hospital, they hint that that was part of the, part of the reason why uh, she doesn't make it. I'm spoiling it. Well, yeah, it's a spoiler. It's room. a spoiler room. So, uh, <laughs> what's really odd, though, also is that technically that ending um, would have made that movie impossible to make at that time because of the filmmaking rules that they had. Uh, the story goes is that the censor that was in charge of watching the film and signing off on it had recently married a woman half his age, and well. he basically fell asleep the last ten minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's a very interesting story, right? Um, I, I like it because the movie hints at like class division. Um, there's also this lovely scene where Freddie is kind of showing off his butterfly collection to Miranda, and it's just this wonderful metaphor about love and beauty, and and trap. You know, you, you basically take something of beauty and he wants to save it forever, and then she sees it as Oh, you just killed something. <laughs> Boom, dead. And that's yeah. what she thought. And at the beginning of the film, you feel like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a Beauty and the Beast story. And you got Miranda, who's this, this like, clever woman that basically does a really good job of, of matching wits with Freddy. You know, mm-hmm. it, she's got all these like, plans of, about how to escape and how to trick him. And, and it almost works. It really does almost work. And even while I was watching, I was like, wow, does who really has the power in this relationship or in this situation? Is it Miranda or is it Freddie? And then the last two minutes of the film pretty much wipes out any sympathy that I had for Freddie. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the last thing I would add is that I didn't realize until I watched this film that the the references to the butterfly collection and and Silence of the Lambs is a reference to this film. And I didn't know that because I'd never seen this film. And I, I I love it even even more, uh, you know. I love <laughs> Silence of the Lambs even more because of this, because it ties it in. Yeah, Terrence Stamp. It's a young Terrence Stamp in here, and for me, he's channeling his best Norman Bates. Yes. Uh-huh. Who who here has all watched The Collector? Me. I just okay. now watched it just like <laughs> last night. Oh, when, great. When, wouldn't you say that he really ch- was channeling a Norman Bates type of persona? Although, yeah, it- man. Well, he's a phenomenal actor anyway. Probably, like, one of the most... I was so f- happy when The Seeker came out. It's like, oh, man, finally somebody saw that Terrence Stamp can be a badass action hero. You know, <laughs> that's a great film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he's great in this movie. Uh, he's the one thing I remember most from it, actually. He's just... He's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, but he definitely... I'm watching this going, wow. And then his psychology... Don, a little bit schizo? <laughs> or a little bit, uh, not multiple, but I mean, he, he turns on a... He's got two different personas going on there. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say schizo, but definitely he's got some sort of bipolar thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to expand on uh, something that Paul said about um, the, the class division... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a lot further than that because he's simply 
when she when he was showing her his butterfly collection, she couldn't grasp that. All she saw was death. Mm-hmm. When he wanted to when he asked to read The Catcher in the Rye, he couldn't grasp and understand it. And that was part of her attempt to connect with him and understand him because she was trying to get him to understand that he was like the character mm-hmm. in that book and he could not grasp he could not grasp that because he hated that character so much that he could not see that that's who he was being and that's how she was seeing him yeah he, he, she definitely um he it definitely gives the the vision not only in class but in in education and gender, <laughs> but it, it, and and it's on both sides actually. Again, this is another theme going on how the how men are portrayed because there's a scene in there where he says he wants her as a guest and uh, to stay in this dungeon kind of area he's made for her that he's made as homey as possible. And the minute she, the the two guesses she makes and this kind of struck me as okay, I see what they're doing here. She immediately guesses that he wants her either for money or sex. <laughs> that's it. That that's her first conclusion in there. He says he wants her as a guest, and she either thinks he's going to rape her, or he's holding her for money. I'm like, wow. Okay, way to make a statement about the men male mentality. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, again, just like in uh, what we had with. Uh, the uh, repulsion, though, is is this portrayal, this kind of veil being addressed about m- males in society, you know, and their perception of by females of how they are and and how men really are, and you know, I, I mean, he's an extreme, but I mean, it's just it was an interesting statement that that was her first thought was, oh, he wants me for uh, you know uh, money or sex, <laughs> you well, know. Well, also, you know, the sex. He, if you notice how much he bristled against it, I mean, he is as repressed uh, as Catherine Deneuve was in Repulsion. Yep. I mean, he the, he is uh, he he can't have he's you get the sense that he is uh, he, either he is uh, he's so sexually repressed that he is either impotent or he is at least impotent when he is not in control. Well, it, it is a little, yeah, and that control of Paul, wouldn't you say, she takes control by using her sensuality in that scene near the end where she's like, okay, here, have me. Yep, and then and it, it completely ahead. turns him against, uh, he, he completely, his opinion of her changes so greatly as a result of that. He doesn't want her at that point and thinks that he's either she's playing him again or she's just really that way, and that she she tricked him, and he feels. I, I think he feels like he was duped. Right, but but he wasn't really. I mean, he made his own bed, in all honesty. I mean, because here she was actually giving him finally what he wanted, and seemed, you know, at least somewhat genuine about it. And the minute he got what he wanted, he didn't want it anymore. <laughs> You know, I mean, you got that theme in here too. Is be careful what you ask for, right? I think he only really got what he wanted was very the very very end where she was kind of sick, 
and yeah. and she she actually opened up to him. I thought that 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 love that she had, even though it was kind of, I don't know, she didn't want to die, obviously, but I think that 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 showing of love was even for me a lot better than her trying to seduce him. So that's how I viewed it. I, I viewed him, or her trying to seduce him in that earlier scene, and then later on, and he actually did try to save her, but it was too late. And, and I'm not entirely certain that it was love, but more need and appreciation that he Which was looking for. Which is what I think he, yeah, he was looking for yeah. that. Because he, he made the comment um, during the attempted uh, seduction, he made, uh, when he was getting all upset, he made the comment, I could pay for that down mm-hmm. anywhere. I can get that anywhere. I can buy that. That's not what I want. Uh, he wanted somebody to need and have true affection for him. He didn't care about the sex. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, I mean, what was I going to say? Uh, also, I just feel like... Uh, that he that he had this control. I mean, I don't think that he has a concept of love because, I mean, we've seen this uh, theme uh, mostly in films since the Collector. It would it would seem that the Collector might be actually be one of the prototypes for this. Was that uh, it, it's not really love. It's control. It's power. Exactly. And, yeah. and it and it is and it is and it is a need for self. Well, I want you to get to know me. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. If it was real love, you couldn't. She, he, you wouldn't put what you wouldn't put the object of your affection. You wouldn't imprison them. You wouldn't uh, psychologically torture them. You wouldn't constantly. You couldn't. You wouldn't be able to bear to see them suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and which is like one of these themes. But time and again. Because He's, these people are so warped, this is how they think love is, but it's not love at all. Exactly, and that's what that's what that whole scene with the butterfly collection showed. Yeah, he is willing to do that. Well, he yeah. thinks that that is he loves his butterfly collection. He loves her, so he's willing to like trap her forever and ever, so that he can be the only one that watches her. Well, and let, let's face it, I, I think we can all admit that uh, our man Terrence Stamp's character here wasn't exactly the most popular kid in school. <laughs> even as an adult, he, he was being picked. Even as an adult, he wasn't popular. They picked on him in, in the office. With the butterfly uh, guy. With the butterfly guy. Cole, what do you think about the direction of that? I mean, we had the memories in black and white, and then there's that awesome scene where she – was initially kidnapped and they're negotiating and she's crying and then she walks behind the pillar and comes around composed and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. What'd you think of uh, William's direction in this film? It's, it's, it's really, really good and really, really creepy. You know, when I watch this, I can't help, I can't help, but not make the connection that the book that this is based off of was, the primary fuel for Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. And if you don't oh. know who those guys are, you don't want to know. No. Never, never <laughs> look into it, ever. I was they, thinking of them while watching this. <laughs> um, for me, it's inevitable, you know, uh, just making that connection. And it's, it's, it is creepy, man, and it is horrifying. Just to make a quick correction, the uh, Terrence Stamp movie I'd mentioned is actually called The Limey, not oh, The Seeker, okay. in case oh, anybody's... Uh, I, it's a great film, seek it out. But for oh, me, the, the, reason, the reason this movie works is Terrence Stamp. I mean, he is a phenomenal actor. 
and uh, he there's a lots of stuff going on with with his performance. I mean, he's I, I am certain that if he wasn't in Young Guns, that movie would not be remembered the way it is. <laughs> he is a phenomenal actor. Um, but the the movie itself is is creepy, and it works. I, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. Um, but uh, mainly because I just have this personal connection to it. Um, with the whole Leonard Lake thing, but uh, it is—it's a great film, man. It's a good choice. I'd actually forgotten about it. I didn't even think about. You didn't even think about that when you mentioned '65, but it's an important film. I mean, all people who love movies should probably watch it once. You know. <laughs> Glenner, you messed me up. I just wanted to say that really quick. Like this is my first. I I never felt an an, an urgent need to see this movie, but I did when it kind of got out that it was going to be covered by somebody. I didn't know who. And let me tell you, this movie messed me up. <laughs> this was such a disturbing. And wonderful film, though. I was like, I was like all night thinking about this movie. <laughs> and, and anyone else besides uh, uh, Scott, Don, and Cole, uh, did they watch this film? I or saw it bit? many years ago. Yeah, with with Zod, he does more yes. than Zod. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a disturbing film. And what's funny is you watch this and you can see it as a template, possibly for the future films that are similar to it. Uh, yeah. That we even, we even see in the later horror films, the the kidnapping films, and that definitely uh, have a lot of. You can't tell this film must have had influence on some of those because you look at some of these abduction films now, and and it's like wow, you could trace some steps back to that. You know, it, his character who he thinks is completely doing a really good thing when he's not. You know. Uh, I never got the impression once that he felt like he was doing wrong. Did did any no. of you? No. At, not at one point. I mean, and that's what's kind of what I found interesting is difference in modern. You know, watching some of these films and thinking of modern day the way they make films. You know, I, I think at one point they might try to give him a little remorse. And here he's gotten on throughout the entire film, even at the very end. He's like, you know, he thinks he's in the right. <laughs> And that's what's most creepy, I think, for me, is the fact that his character throughout this film, throughout the things he does, uh, he thinks he's in the right and that the world is wrong and that she's wrong in thinking things other than thinking different than what he's thinking. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, it sounds weird, but it is, you know, that's that's the impression I get with his character. Well, he, in the, at the very end, he doesn't, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't feel the remorse for it. He actually goes and says, hmm, what did I do wrong? I'm going to correct what I did wrong, and I'm going to do it better next time. Yeah, oh, I kidnapped the wrong girl. I, I yeah, was shooting too way too high. I yeah. was shooting way too high. I need to kidnap a more common person, not these college-educated girls. No, i got to go for these. <laughs> yeah, he's a twisted individual. And, and uh, Go ahead, Don. And further, he said... Uh, after saying, well, what did I do wrong? I I'm going to do better next time. Oh, but she deserved everything she got. Ah, yeah. Yes. Yes, he justifies it by by going, oh, yeah, yeah, no, you know what? She didn't, yeah, it didn't play out right because it's her fault. When you know yeah. it's not, and you've seen through the whole film, it's not her fault. You, you know, it's like, dude, you are seriously broken, and he's still <laughs> out there in his van. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence did a wonderful performance. I did sympathize with him until that very end. 
you you do until like the the part where he gets banged with a shovel, and then you don't quite feel so. He deserved so, it. He deserved it. He totally deserved it. So how many? They there's one scene. This house they pick is great for this movie, and there's this one scene where the neighbor points out this priest hole. Yeah, they didn't use it. They didn't use it. I thought for sure that was foreshadowing that someone's going to get stuffed. They cut an hour out of the movie. Maybe it's in there. Yeah. (laughs) It might be because I'm like, they it's a horror movie. You don't point out a really small crawl space like that that's hidden without using it later on. It's in the sequel. <laughs> it's where he like stuffs it. the other girl, yes. Like too. Abduction Boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Abduction Boogaloo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're going to uh, move along. That excellent pick there with the collector. Uh, you know, a lot of these films, that's why I loved doing this because you brought up a lot of films that I had heard of but never got around to actually watching so watching everybody's pick, I thank you for sending them to me ahead of time because I'm like, wow This ends part one of our three-part special 50th episode on The Spoiler Room. Make sure you check out the other two parts on iTunes and you can find these episodes as well as all our old episodes on SpecialMarkProductions.com